Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of Charlie's GeekCast. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and once again, we are looking at Grant Morrison's Rock of Ages storyline. This time, we're looking at the conclusion of the story. Uh, and because I'm recording this ahead of time, once again, there's no feedback yet. So, after a couple of promos, we're going to jump right in to the story. The Bronze Age of Comics. An era largely ignored as far as Superman goes, and an era that some consider to still be part of the Silver Age. Sure, a lot of people know about the Kryptonite Nevermore storyline, where all the Kryptonite on Earth is turned to iron and Clark Kent goes from a newspaper reporter to a TV reporter. Then there are the Alan Moore stories, for the man who has everything and whatever happens to the man of tomorrow. But in an era that lasted 15 years, surely there's more to the Bronze Age than that, right? Well, my name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every other week, I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era of Superman in the Bronze Age. Featuring such stories as the return of Jonathan Kent, two meetings with the Amazing Spider-Man, the Phantom Zone miniseries, the enlarging of Krypton, and more. Plus, J. David Weider also joins in to take a look at Superboy's Bronze Age adventures. So join in the fun at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Hi, this is Professor Allen. And when I'm not listening to an awesome podcast, like this one, I'm co-hosting an awesome podcast, The Book Guy Show. Every week, we cover book news, book reviews, comic books, audiobooks, audio dramas, and podcasts. Search for The Book Guys Show on iTunes or come visit us at bookguys.ca. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice... The title of this story is Stone of Destiny, written by Grant Morrison, penciled by Howard Porter... Gary Frank and Greg Land, inked by John Dell and, How and Bob McLeod, lettered by Ken Lopez, colored by Pat Garrahy, associate editor was Peter Tomasi, and editor is Dan Raspler. All right, our story begins the same way the last chapter of most of Grant Morrison's stories begin, by having a prologue that sets up a future story, for some reason. We're in the year A.D. 85,271, and we appear to be uh, the planet Saturn, and we uh, what appears to be the time ship of our man, who Green Lantern met a couple of issues ago, and he's meeting with Metron, who's showing him the Philosopher's Stone, which, in the language of New Genesis, is the Whirlagog, the hourglass of the gods. It's a mirror of the universe in miniature, an exact working model of the entire space-time continuum from Big Bang to the Omega Point. This shows something that happened in the past of the Philosopher's Stone. And we this actually, because this shows us the past of the Philosopher's Stone, this puts us into the what we know as the present. We're on the Injustice Gang satellite, orbiting the moon, where Lex Luthor is holding the Philosopher's Stone. And we see Green Arrow, Mirror Master, Joker, with an egg, Ocean Master, Cersei, and Dr. Light. Well, okay, let's put it this way. Luther is sitting there looking at the rock. Joker is giving him crap. 
Um, Mirror Master is giving a thumbs up sign to Green Arrow, which I never noticed until just now. And Cersei, Dr. Light, and Ocean Master are looking out the window at the moon, which is actually apparently a CGI version of the moon that was put in the background. We <clears throat> Luther contacts J Aztec on the JLA Watchtower, and we are reminded that he's got a bunch of uh, 12 nuclear warheads embedded in the Watchtower, and he's either got to deactivate them or, you know, decide to give the Injustice Gang access to the Watchtower and join the Injustice Gang. Aztec has 12 warheads to deactivate in three and a half minutes, which means he has 17 and a half seconds for each deactivation, and tells Luther to remember it was his money that paid for the technology and he wouldn't be able to do it without him. Do what? We'll find out in a little bit. Back in the Batcave, uh, use, using the coordinates given to him by Mirror Master, Batman sets up a basically a weird-looking kind of gelatin kind of teleporter, which actually reminds me of those paintings you would jump through in Mario 64 to go to a new world. It kind of looks like that. And the three, uh, Superman, Batman, and Martian Manhunter, leave the Batcave to go up to the Injustice Gang satellite. Speaking of the satellite, the Joker is now using his little egg, which I guess is supposed to be like Egg Foo, an old Wonder Woman villain, to annoy Jim, son of Saturn, who, for some reason, is dripping liquid off of his head. Not sure why. I don't think anyone poured anything on him. Oh, yes, I do see why. Because in the next panel we see that the Joker has a water gun, so he must have been hitting him with it. Anyway, at this point, Ocean Master contacts Luther. He went down to the hydroponic generators to water them, and found the Joker all tied up in, well, looks like in one of the cubby holes. So basically, if the Joker's tied up down there, who's up there with Luther and the rest of the game? At this point, Luther pulls out a gun and fires at Joker, who splits his head in half and drops his egg. That's right, splits his head in half, because as it turns out, the Joker is not the Joker. The Joker was Plastic Man. Meanwhile, Dr. Light also realizes that someone's transmitting into the Injustice Gang satellite. And while Joker and Ocean Master have a nice little talk about the fact that Ocean Master got his trident from Neron in return for his soul, it gets his power increased immeasurably. But if he lets go of the trident, he experiences excruciating nerve pain, to which the Joker says, and everyone says, I'm crazy. Meanwhile, outside, we see a large rock heading straight towards the Injustice Gang satellite. Remember when the Superman and Martian Manhunter sent that into space last, uh, not last issue, three issues ago? See, this, this is one of those stories that's much easier to read in trade than in a monthly, because you forget what's happened. Anyway. So at this point, Luther, um, Joker lets Luther and the gang know that the big rock is heading towards them. And as Luther prepares to target the cannons, Green Arrow shows his true colors by, pointing, by aiming an arrow at Luther and saying that weapons and... The weapons have been disabled, and the teleport device is under JLA control. So, basically, he needs to shut down those missiles. But, Joker says, it looks like you've outsmarted me, doesn't it? As he 
causes the rock in his hands to glow. At this point, uh, Plastic Man starts to annoyingly hit on Cersei. And we learn that Mirror Master is no longer with the Injustice Gang because he's been paid better. And while that's going on, Superman, Batman, and Martian Manhunter appear on the Injustice Gang satellite with the line, Reports of our deaths were exaggerated. Anyway, at this point, Luther has Dr. Light activate the hard light versions of the Justice League. And meanwhile, down below, as Ocean Master heads back up to help with the J- against the JLA... Actually, no. As Ocean Master tries to flee before the JLA can tear the place apart, Joker heads to the armory to get a big sci-fi kind of gun, because that's how he expresses his masculinity. Ha 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 ha. Meanwhile, we return to Plastic Man, um, hitting on Cersei some more. She tells him that he's basically a pig, and apparently uses her powers to cause him to take the form of, well, a pig. And and while he's running around causing chaos, Green Arrow fires an arrow at the console to deactivate the Hard Light Revenge Squad. And while that happens, once again, Plastic Man goes back to his normal form, although he looks more like Jim Carrey in Ace Ventura than he does normal Eel O'Brien, and again tries to flirt with Cersei. So at this point, <clears throat> thanks to some help from Luther, Dr. Light realizes that he can change light wavelengths. First, he switches everything over to infrared, then all the way up the radio frequencies. Uh, see, because light in all its form is, is under his command. He makes it so no one can see, but surrounds the place with flames, then transforms Superman in his energy powers, uh, basically turning him into radio waves and he gets transmitted out of the solar system at light speed. Meanwhile, Martian Manhunter and Batman are surrounded by flames. Temperature readings are off the scale, but they're not burning. And it looks like Batman's holding up a version of the Dr. Sonic screwdriver to take the readings. It's kind of cool. Everyone switches over to night vision because apparently, thanks to Luther, everyone's got night sight contact lenses. As Cersei, either she's either using her power, or just her suggestion is causing her to, causing Plastic Man to change his form. She says something about him being a brain jackass, and he turns into a donkey. And then she says, "Damn you!" And he apparently turns into a monkey. Meanwhile, since it's dark, Green Arrow can't see it damn thing, and he's about to be attacked by Ocean Master, but he's trained to fight in the dark, so he's able he smells the brine coming off of Ocean Master and was able to give him a nice kick to the stomach. Uh, Batman switches to night vision and has Martian Manhunter use his telepathic powers to contact Jim, son of Saturn. Continuing in the dark, Luther uses the Philosopher's Stone to trap Plastic Man in a large bottle, complete with cork. And before, but before much else can happen, Jim hits both Luther and Dr. Light in the back of the head, knocking them down, which causes the lights to return to normal and Joker er, and Luther to drop the Philosopher's Stone. 
While, while Green Arrow takes out Ocean Master, Aqu or Aquaman, really? Luther dives for the Philosopher's Stone, but is blocked by Batman. Uh, Green Arrow calls, tries to call Superman out on the radio, but fortunately Superman was able to bounce himself off of a space probe antenna near Jupiter, and thanks to the open channel, uh, returns to the Injustice Gang satellite. At this point, we also learned that Aztec is able to dis was able to disable all of the nuclear weapons with eight seconds to spare. Plastic Man is about to go over with Jim about all the things he could do on Earth, such as advertising chili peppers or tomato ketchup because, you know, the red skin. But before much can go on, Jim gets a big blast to the shoulder, courtesy of the Joker, who still has his big sci-fi gun, which, because it's a different artist, looks completely different from the gun he had earlier. So at this point, we get the re and from behind, Plastic Man's able to knock out Joker. So now we get a rec uh, basically a recreation of the last page from the last issue, with Superman telling Luther that it's over, taking the Philosopher's Stone, he's about to destroy it. But this time, we even get the Shazak and the Lightning of Bolt. But this time, we see that Martian Manhunter has covered it with his hands to prevent its destruction. And apparently Martian Manager did receive the telepathic alarm from Green Lantern. He was able to see the world in ruins and that Darkseid would have destroyed everybody. And we, th at this point we also see Green Lantern you, cre has created a construct of his head telling everyone not to do anything. He's talking really fast, telling them not to destroy the stone. Superman tells him it's okay. We've got it. It's fine. And we'll be joining you shortly. At this point, um, Plastic Man uses his body to kind of bandage up Son of Saturn, and who gets carried off by Martian Manhunter. Everyone exits the Injustice Gang satellite just in time for that large rock to slam into it, destroying it. On the JLA Watchtower, everyone's brought up to speed on what has happened, and Metron is still with them, but because the stone was not destroyed, he reverted to his good self, and I guess back to being a god again. So Superman hands the Philosopher's Stone over to Metron, but unfortunately it's not the real thing, it's just a primitive, coherent, light grid facsimile, because, as it turns out, the Joker has it. That's right. Crazy Joker, who uses its power to create a 10,000-mile-long grin from South America to Asia Minor. This causes massive seismic disturbances, tectonic plate upheaval, weather patterns going out of control, mass hysteria. Uh, so Martian Manhunter uses his telepathic powers to kind of bring order to the Joker's mind, although it is such a raging storm of insanity that... He it's not something he can do for long. And we see Joker realizing he's insane and wondering what he's done with his life. He's kind of feeling bad for all the stuff he's done. Superman tries to convince Joker to give the stunt to him, but Luther runs up and tells him to fix that if he really wants to make amends for all that he's done, he needs to bring back Star City and the people who died there, making it like it never happened. So Joker does that, Restoring Star City to what it to what it once was before issue ten, I believe it was. And but by this point, Martian Manager can no longer control Joker's mind. But and before he lets go, he has to let go. Flash is able to run in at super speed and grab the stone.
and Joker goes back to crazy again. Green Lantern goes up to Luther, tells him he's going down big time, but as Luther points out, that now that Star City is fine, no one died there, they have no nothing to charge him with. Superman says he's right, nothing happened, and it turns out that the League did end up destroying several million dollars worth of LexCorp hardware, so Luther's won. But when he goes to give Luther a handshake, Luther fades away, turns out he's a hologram. Excuse me. Um, Superman... So after that, Superman thanks Plastic Man for his help, while Aztec and Martian Manhunter do perform surgery on son of the son of Saturn to, you know, try to fix him up. Um, the Philosopher's Stone is returned to Metron, and Metron basically tells the heroes that um, there's going to be more. There's a seed in them. Once the Great Mother World was torn apart by the Titanic War engines of the Old Gods, what had been one world became two, Bright New Genesis and Dark Apocalypse. The old gods died to give birth to the new. These these new gods, even such as I, must also pass in our turn. Our search was long, and our war continues, but we found the planetary cradle of the gods to come. Others are on their way. The hour is at hand. Superman tries to ask what it means. Metron just says that they are the forerunners. Prepare for the fortification of Earth, and with that he disappears. In Metropolis, Superman well, kind of booms in to, or zips in, yeah, uh, to Luther's office. Luther's holding up a mirror. Superman figures it's one of Mirror Master's gadgets, but Luther says that, you know, he shaves his head, uses a mirror, whatever. So Luther says, uh, so Superman gives him credit for the brilliance of bringing back Star City. Uh, they won't even remember they were ever dead, and he figures that there must be a good man inside Luther somewhere. And with that, he leaves, and Luther just says, so, or you think so, do you? On the Watchtower, basically, Green Arrow quits. He can't handle all the spaceness and everything that goes with the jailie. He's just a regular guy from Earth. He needs to be on the ground. Well, Green Lantern's kind of giving him crap for wanting to quit, Aztec does the same thing. Um, and while they're having this discussion, we see that Joker had used the, at one point, used the Philosopher's Stone to change the tops of all of the chairs from the JLA meeting table to have the Joker's face on them. It's kind of funny. They don't mention it at all, but it's just funny. But Aztec decides to quit too. Um, we find out that uh, Aztec doesn't want to be because he's compromised. That a- yeah, find out that Aztec wants to quit because he's compromised. Everything Luther funded the whole thing, probably owns the equipment, it just wouldn't work. Meanwhile, we have Metron going to the future, uh, and this is what he says: "The stone is safe once more. My work is done." Now I encode myself into the biological fluid which surrounds the Earth, drawing on the energies of life itself to accelerate the dynamos of my Mobius chair. With with the Whirlagog as my chart and compass, I plot a course through the succession of flickering short-lived probable worlds. At the peak of my velocity, I curve around the dimensional rim, emerging emerging from untime at the end of all things. The Source Wall. 
Beyond this unbreachable barrier lies the infinite, and here, as he was, is Darkseid, imprisoned in his place beside the Promethean giants who dared assault the wall and were trapped in its substance forever. At faster than light speeds, I pass through all the days of a man's life in a single instant, launching myself out of the space-time perimeter of this universe, where Wonderworld keeps vigil against the dark. And then he meets up with the heroes from Wonderworld. And and I'm not sure if this is due to the artist not knowing, not realizing that her size, or because since he's a god he can change his size. But we've got uh, Metron standing right next to Adam-1 at his same height. Um, and Adam-1 mentions the fact that... Uh, the, the Flash, Green Lantern, and Aquaman, he remembers them. They came and went, blind to the all-devouring nature of the threat we face here. Uh, and Metron just says, The threat is as you say, Adam-1. But in the end, it will not be you who must face it. And looking out in space, we see what I'm guessing is Wonderworld. But it looks like a molecule. Uh, it looks like a, it's a planet that looks similar to Earth. It's got what looks like some sort of pegs sticking out from it attached to these I guess are moons around it. One of them looks kind of metallic like Cybertron from the Transformers uh, but it's got I guess these moons around it. You see a few like you see three people flying around in space one spaceship and further out you see in the dark a red glowing circle and two big blue eyes. So we're back in the future, right where we were at the beginning of the issue, in one of the rings of Saturn on our man's time ship. And basically, Metron gives the Whirligog to our man as his apprentice. Another breach in time is coming, and it will be our man's task as his successor to oversee its repair. And with that, Metron leaves. Uh, with that, our man basically speaks to someone behind him, someone with a familiar silhouette. And he says, he, he made me his apprentice. He entrusted me with the Whirligog itself. And the stranger, who stands there with a the red cape, says, and not a moment too soon, our man. The alert, I'll alert the rest of Justice Legion A to prepare for deep time travel. And now we for the epilogue. In the present, or 833 centuries earlier, uh, we see Batman, Superman, and Aquaman finishing their discussion about what all has happened. They're talking about threats to the space-time continuum. Uh, Batman wonders if they're capable of dealing with the responsibility. He has he's given his suggestion. He wants to get back down to Earth and stay there for a while. So with all of them in agreement, they walk out of the room to confront the rest of the JLA members. And after great discussion, they decide that as of now, they're officially disbanding the Justice League of America. Throughout its history, people have found this place disquieting. 
Strange and unexplained phenomena run rampant, so much so that it's been called the city that lives by night. And the city that lives by night needs a darker form of protector. Black Talon. Please don't kill me! You tell them all, Nocturne is the Talon's hunting ground. Your kind had best look elsewhere for prey. Nightbreaker. What was this? Some sort of joke? No! Gloria, this sounds crazy, I know, but she did shoot me. Something happened. I'm still not sure what, but people don't recognize unless I truly concentrate on their wanting to see me. It's like I'm invisible. Fairyman. The ghosts you refer to have done more for me than you two have. They've given me my sight back. <laughs> They've given me better than my sight back. Dreamcatcher. Witches, warlocks, mages, magicians, shamans. Call us what you like. It's all the same. We've helped when we can, eluded those too ignorant to understand that magic isn't evil. And it's made us sensitive to others who have magic running in their veins. A quartet of heroes standing together must face a new menace. This can be painless, you know. You ain't putting the fronters on me, Slag. Just take your shot, yeah? I was hoping you'd say that. Who is going to use the roughest elements of the city. You that rose red bitch? That's right. I'm not even mad at you for adding the bitch part. Because I am. And I know you guys are some of the nastiest, toughest, roughest, meanest bastards in this town. Am I right? Yeah! Yeah! Good, because I have need of you. To send this city... Come on! To end tonight. Down New Roads to Hell. New Roads to Hell, the first Shadow Legion adventure by Thomas DJ. A new novel coming soon from Airship 27. For more information, including character sketches and behind-the-scenes information... Visit the Nocturne Travel Agency at welcometonocturne.blogspot.com and airship27.com. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. Sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fantasy. Lando Calrissian. Star Wars Monthly Mondays. Available the first Monday of every month at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. We would be honored if you would join us. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice... All right, my notes on this issue. Now, all this stuff in the future, 85,271, this has a big part to play in the 
DC One Million storyline that will be coming up. Um, Our Man is the excuse me. Our Man is part of this Justice Legion A that I mentioned, and the character that I mentioned with the familiar silhouette is the. We'll find out later. It's basically the Superman from the future. Um, but yeah, all that stuff kind of plays into it. Uh, back in the present, I mentioned, of course, the fact that we've got the a CGI moon in the background when the on page three, while we're looking at the Injustice Gang satellite, it kind of takes you out of the art. Um, it looks like a paste. It's not a very good one. It looks like some of the back when they were first starting doing the CGI mix with regular cell animation on cartoons. It just doesn't look right. Um, I like the idea that Aztec thinks he can take out all of the uh, missiles pretty quick. It kind of makes him seem badass. Always cool. Um, I don't know how Batman's just created his own teleport on page 5, but somehow he has. Uh, He's not that awesome in the Batman books. Otherwise he'd be teleporting, you know, everywhere. Why do you need a Batmobile if you could just teleport? The idea of Plastic Man dressed up as the Joker is awesome because he is crazy enough that he he could pull it off. Plus, you know, he can change his form. Uh the when we see Joke when we see Luther shooting at him, one shot doesn't really cause his face to s- split in half, but he he does it to avoid the shot, which is pretty cool. And when he does that, the eyes cross. So that's kind of cool. And then the next page, or the next panel even, you see more of the shots hitting the Joker outfit, but they're not hitting Plastic Man because he's slipped out of it yuckily and changed to his normal form. And I like how Howard Porter always makes sure when he's drawing Plastic Man to put some lines on there to give him that little extra sheen. It looks more like he's a some kind of gooey creature in a clear plastic container or something, rather than just a man made out of plastic. It's kind of cool. Let's see, uh, page 9. Like I mentioned, uh, just the way this story is set up, I had almost completely forgotten about the fact that Superman and Martian Manhunter had thrown that rock up into space. So, it coming in now, it took me a minute to realize where the heck that came from. And so... Something like that makes it much easier to read as a trade than the way Morrison ended up doing it. But I can also see why he ended up doing it, because can you imagine how confusing it would have been trying to keep a future story and present story going at the same time? Okay, page 13. Joker is pulled out this big sci-fi looking gun in a page drawn by Howard Porter. A few pages later, we see Joker with that same gun on a page drawn by Gary Frank. Gary Frank draws it to look like a giant machine gun, a typical Earth gun, instead of a big sci-fi looking gun. That's unfortunate. Now, it makes me wonder, Luther has this Philosopher's Stone, when the heroes teleport in, why doesn't he just, I don't know, teleport them away? The stone can do whatever he wants. It's basically like Green Lantern's ring. I'm... Maybe he just was egotistical enough to think that he could win even with the heroes there and it would be better to take them out that way. I don't know. Probably plays into Luther's psychology. Uh, Moving along to page 26. 
Great Land draws a very awesome Joker. Uh, this first panel on this page, he looks crazy, his hair's all messed up. I'm, I'm not completely sure how he was able to steal the Philosopher's Stone, but whatever. In any event, he, uh, he's, he looks really awesome. In fact, of the three artists here, I kind of think Greg Land's art looks kind of the best. Um, when he draws Green Lantern, Green Lantern, the green sections of Green Lantern's costume look like kind of like a harder shell kind of thing whereas they don't quite look that way when Gary Frank is drawing it um well they do it's just shinier and looks thinner I don't know it just doesn't look as cool and I just like Gary Frank's art especially at this point in his career before he started copying everything from album covers and porno pictures uh, page 27 once again John Jones does something to deal with Joker's mind uh, it would interest me to see if this could if Morrison ever had any plans beyond this for anything happening to the Manhunter's mind after this one issue he's had to make himself crazy like the Joker and now he's trying to bring order to the joke to the chaos of Joker's mind it's kind of crazy and then when Metron leaves with the Whirlagog or Philosopher's Stone he says a lot of stuff that makes absolutely no sense basically to me I believe he's saying that uh, whereas the fourth world is the world of the new gods I believe he's saying that basically Earth is where is where the fifth world will be and that these heroes are just the forerunners I think that's what he's saying um, yeah uh, also of interest is the fact that um, Gary Frank when he draws Superman this entire issue looks uh, Superman looks nothing like Christopher Reeve um, just thought I'd point that out uh, let's see the the source wall now see this is something to point out the um, an interesting timing uh, remember the first issue crossed over with the Genesis wave well at the end of Genesis I believe both High Father and Darkseid became part of the source wall so when so when the um, when this storyline started I believe Flash asked how Joker or how Darkseid escaped from the source wall well, he that's all because of the whole philosopher's stone thing. Here we see him back as part of the as part of the source wall right next to High Father, which is why at around this time High Father is replaced by someone named Tachyon to be the new High Father. Also, it's interesting to point out and I don't know if this was done on purpose or not, but on page 35 we see um uh, Metron using his Mobius chair to go through some kind of something. It looks like a, maybe it's supposed to be a combination of scenes, everything from a fish tank to some animal stuff, I don't know. But the Metron on that image is taken, shrunk down, and placed on the first panel of the next page when he's supposed to be watching a man's uh, life pass before him in a single instant interesting 
And I'm almost wondering if that's supposed to be Adam from the Garden of Eden, because it's a little kid, no parents around, surrounded by basically paradise and bubbles. Uh, let's see. It kind of confuses me why they would do the whole, why well, they would have this meeting about possibly disbanding the Justice League without Martian Manhunter, because I thought it was something with founding members and he would have been one of them. Of course, so would Flash and Green Lantern, too, but I don't know. Doesn't make much sense to me, but whatever. I guess it's because they only need three of them per their charter stuff, and, um, of the four heroes on the team with the most experience, Martian Manhunter was kind of busy with a surgery. So maybe that's part of it. Um, but yeah, so they disband at the end of this. Now don't worry. The Justice League does return. In fact... In the very next story, they come back in even greater numbers with let's see uh, you have your main seven Superman, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern Hawkman and Martian Manhunter Wonder Woman is there but it starts off as Queen Hippolyta in addition you also get Plastic Man Steel, Zariel uh, for the first story for the first two part story of this version of the team Catwoman's there only to kind of disappear after that first issue. Huntress also joins the team, and at the end of that first two-page, or two-issue story, Orion and Big Barda also join the team. And then, basically, for the rest of the run, you get variations on those lineups. And after a couple of quick promos, we will look at the ads. Superman. Batman. Wonder Woman. The world's greatest heroes. They have saved the world time and time again. But what about their partners in heroism? Join me, Kenneth Laster, in a podcast journey through the lives of the Teen Titans in Youthful Rebellions, a Teen Titans podcast, starting with the revamp in 2003 and continuing through the New 52. Join Robin, Superboy, and Wonder Girl, and many more at titanspodcast.podomatic. See you there, and remember... Evil beware, we have waffles. My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back to the men's taping. No names have been changed, everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine, or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have to mine, you have to yours. You might want to yours only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it will be used to you at a particular t and then if you go out of that, it scrambles to a and it doesn't fast enough. So it's better to just set it up. Oh, okay. It really doesn't work well. So I checked. Right. Uh, I checked my. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, my. It definitely built built me for the hotel for all three of us. Join back to the bins every week for goodness. Solomon Grundy hate voiceovers. Yeah.
Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. All right, real quick, let's look at the ads. Some of these are very similar to what we've already seen several times. Inside front cover is the Mortal Kombat Mythology Sub-Zero issue, uh, ad that we've seen the last two issues. Uh, let's see. Uh, the next ad is f the two-page spread ad for the for Sega's La Last Bronx fighter game for the Sega Saturn. Which could have been such a great system. Uh, the next one was uh, is the ad for Mass Destruction, the shoot 'em up game for Sega Saturn and the PlayStation and Windows 95. Ah, here we go. Uh, is an ad. 13 new songs on Metallica Reload. Produced by Bob Rock with Hetfield and Ulrich. So it's a very plain ad for the new Metallica album. Get a two page spread ad for the Sonic R game again. Now here's a new one. Uh, this is a game. No, it's not. Uh, the fate of Cyber City rests in his hands and yours. Introducing Cyber Swine, an interactive multipath movie where you control the action. Now, they did several of these. I believe there's even one or two with Superman in them. Um, that were also available online. These are basically. I don't know that you'd call them movies. The graphics are pretty terrible. Uh, although they were pretty good for the time. And basically, they get to points in the movies and you get to decide what happens. It's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, there was that. Next is um, an ad for MLB Players' Choice Products. They are as hot as all of your favorite players and they're a lot easier to carry around. The picture is a kid carrying around basically Cal Ripken Jr. asking if, saying, hey mom, can I keep him? This makes sense because it was around this point that Cal Ripken broke the big Iron Man record of most consecutive baseball games played, which is really cool because he was a Baltimore Oriole and at the, at the time I lived in Baltimore, I'm still an Orioles fan, not a huge one because I'm not a big baseball guy, but of the, of the baseball teams, I'm more of an Orioles guy than anything else. So it's kind of cool to see him in the ads. Uh, let's see. This is Command and Conquer Red Alert, a video game for the PlayStation, which is one of those real, uh, real-time strategy games. Supports mouse and a link cable. If you like those kinds of games, I do not, so I don't read them too often. And I just said read them, and it's a video game. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Uh, then, of course, the inside back cover is the same Jedi Masters of Terras Cassie. Terras Cassie? I don't know. Uh, the Star Wars fighter game. And the back cover is Gap Ad. Again, with a Gap Pro Fleece hooded sweatshirt for $48. That's expensive for a sweatshirt. Wow. Anyway, that's it for the ads. Let's see what else was going on. Okay. Elsewhere in the DC Universe, we've got Adventures of the DC Universe number 11, where it looks like Wonder Woman's being given a Green Lantern ring. Uh, let's see. 
Actually, you know what? Let's not look. At, let's look at this by publication date because that would make it easier. We've got Batman: Shadow of the Bat number seventy-one. We have Birds of Prey: Batgirl number one by Chuck Dixon, and it's a new Black Canary Batgirls uh, team up again. This is still before they got their ongoing series. Green Lantern: A New Dawn trade paperback, which basically redoes uh, reprints the first several issues of the of Kyle's time as Green Lantern. Uh, Hawk and Dove, the miniseries, number four, came out, which I believe was supposed to be the last issue. JLA Paradise Lost, number two, came out this month. Uh, Paradise Lost was uh, basically the continuation of the Zariel story from the end of oh, JLA number seven. Uh, by Mark Mil- Miller and I believe yeah Ariel Ar- Ariel Olivetti uh, the Kent's miniseries number 7 was this month Lobo had a fragtastic voyage this month Nightwing number 17 came out with Nightwing vs. Mambat um, Pinky and the Braid made fun of Men in Black with Mice in Pink coming soon to take over your world Power of Shazam number 35 uh, had featured part 2 of a crossover between Power of Shazam and Starman with a beautiful cover by Jerry Ordway as always also at that same time huh, I guess they put them in alphabetical order at that point. Uh, Also, that same week, uh, Starman number 39 came out, which was part one of the crossover with Power of Shazam. With a cool-looking cover by Tony Harris. Uh, Robin teams up with Argent for a double shot. Again, um, this is the Tim Drake Robin. And the cover is basically a homage to the classic Carmine Infantino cover introducing the new look Batman and Robin uh, on the rooftop. So it's kind of cool. Steel number 47 is a Christmas issue, which makes sense because it's December. Uh, He's happy with a woman of some kind. Superman Adventures number 16 features well... Clark Kent is falling along the side of a building and Superman's flying down to catch him. This issue, I believe, was one of this the debut of one of my favorite teams on this book. Mark Miller, who I mentioned before, uh, was a did a really good job writing for Superman Adventures. The penciler Alura Amancio did a very good job well, when he started off anyway, did a very good job of mimicking the Bruce Tim look. Even especially inked by Terry Austin. Very good job. Unfortunately, after a while, he would go a little... He would skew a little bit away from it, do a little more exaggeration, get a little bit more Kirby-esque, which isn't bad, but when it's supposed to be mimicking a, the look of a certain cartoon, it just, it just kind of hurt things for me anyway. Uh, let's see. Superman Distant Fires number one came out this month, which was an Elseworlds title by Howard Chaikin and Gil Kane. 
uh, Uncle Sam number two came out. Animaniacs number 34 came out with a cover mimicking Star Wars. Why are both these books doing that? Uh, Superman Man of Steel number 76 came out this month. Which is basically, uh, which is a really cool cover. It basically takes the cover that John Bogdanov drew for Superman Man of Steel number one, and he redoes it here, but with the Energy Superman. It's pretty cool looking, whether you like the Energy Superman or not. Uh, Azrael number 38 came out this month. Judging by the looks of things, I'm guessing Bane plays a part in this one. Yes, Bane is still part of this issue. Uh, Batgirl Adventures number one came out, which was basically just a one-shot story told uh, by Paul Dini and Rick Perchette, and it basically has Batgirl versus Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy in the Batman Adventures type style. This is basically the first comic to feature the uh, the revamped look of the characters because they hadn't quite got quite gotten that far in the uh, that Lost Years miniseries yet. Uh, Batman 551 features the Ragman. Uh, DC Marvel Crossover Classics Trade Paperback Number 2 came out with a cool cover by John Romita Jr. featuring Superman, Batman, Silver Surfer, and Captain America, leading me to believe that at least that this issue covers the Superman Silver Surfer crossover and the Batman Captain America crossover. Just a guess. Uh, Green Arrow number 129. Deadly Comrades. Shows Green Arrow with his arrow cocked, uh, standing over what appears to be the dead body of a bald man. Green Lantern number 95 is Green Lantern vs. Robot World, featuring art by Jim Starlin. That one's one of those special ones for me because I believe uh, this is basically the Green Lantern issue that got me going back to collect the re- trying to collect the rest of the Kyle Rayner run. I had the first few issues, then dropped away because you know money and I was a kid. I picked this one up at a gas station and I thought it was cool, so I went back and from there on I got every issue of Green Lantern for the rest of Kyle's run up until he left Earth. And then I was going back and trying to get all the older issues as well. Impulse number 90, or 90, wow. Impulse number 34 is a pretty cool looking uh, Christmas issue. Where, and on the cover, he's literally, unwrap- he's literally unwrapping everyone's presents to find which ones are his. Fun stuff. Uh, Jack Kirby's Fourth World number 12 features appears to feature Mr. Miracle. JLA Year One number two came out this month. Legends of the DC Universe number one came out this month. Uh, the first three issues was a was Superman, and for some reason the third issue of that story was really hard to find. Fortunately, it was recently reprinted um, in one of those cool DC Comics presents things that they did right before the New Fifty Two. I believe it was right before that. Uh, where they would collect like a, just a few issues of something. It wasn't a trade, but it was kind of a regular issue. And it had all three parts of this, plus another issue that Superman started in Legends of the DC Universe. It's really cool. And uh, at the time, <clears throat> was um, the only non-Superman Adventures comic where Superman was in his classic costume. Uh, this story was actually 
from taking place very, like, basically year one, I think, and kind of features the origin of, of, well, features Superman's first encounter with the ultra-humanite post-crisis. Legionnaires, number 57. Uh, Superboy does a double shot with Risk, similar to last month's team-up of Robin and Argent. Basically, we've got uh, some of the, of the other young heroes teaming up with the um, guys from the Teen Titans. Sovereign 7, number 31, came out this month. I really want, wish I read more of this book. Uh, basically, it looks like uh, Power Girl gets knighted, so I guess that means she's going to be a new Sovereign. I'm not sure. Uh, also, this month is the uh, features the issue where Superman gets split thanks to a combination of the cyborg and I believe Toy Man into a red and a blue version, with the red one being more of a hothead and the blue one being a little more calm. Uh, each one tra uh, can transform into their own version of Clark Kent. Puts a slight strain on the Lois and Clark marriage. But this, uh, they have, it came out in two editions. Uh, one had a 3D cover, and the other one, well, was just a regular cover. Both of them are by Dan Jurgens. Very interesting, and a very interesting turn of events for the whole Energy Superman storyline. Adventures of Super Adventures of the DC Universe number 11 uh, features Wonder Woman getting a Green Lantern ring. Aquaman number 41, it looks like he's about to get stabbed to death by Mira? Hmm. Chase, number one. Chase, who made her debut in Batman 550, gets her own comic. Batman Detective Comics number 718 features Batman and Robin versus a guy with a mechanical bo spider body. Yep. Can't make that stuff up, folks. Jack Kirby's New Gods got a trade paperback. Covering, I believe, the... Fr oh, shoot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen different stories. I don't know. Some of them could just be the first seven issues, and each issue had two stories, but first fourteen stories. Uh, but but it's the classic 70s Jack Kirby New God storylines, or stories. Legions of the, I'm sorry, Legends of the Legion number one came out this month. Uh, featuring a solo origins of Legionnaires, featured and this one features Ultra Boy, who can only use one superpower at a time. Lobo number forty-eight. I'm only mentioning because it has a cool-looking cover. Looks like Lobo's just blasted a hole through a penguin. Yep. And the penguin doesn't look too happy about it. Not the Batman villain, the actual penguin itself. Uh, let's see. And Major Bummer number 7 comes out where it looks like he's finally got a costume. He can't fly, so he's on strings somewhere. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, let's see. Robin number 50 came out this month. And this is only the beginning. And it doesn't look good for our boy Wonder. He's uh, his, He's just been in a fight. He's bleeding. 
His costume's torn, and he's holding a gun that's a smoking gun. Hmm. That can't be good. Uh, Secret Origins Replica Edition number one came out, reprinting the secret origins of several popular DC characters, including the Superman-Batman team, Wonder Woman, the Barry Allen Flash, the Hal Jordan Green, Lan- Green Lantern, um, Green Arrow and Speedy, Martian Manhunter, Adam Strange, and the Challengers of the Unknown. Superboy number 48 came out this month. Um... Superboy looks like he's get gonna get struck is getting struck by lightning. I believe this is where they start the uh, disappearance of Superboy story arc. Not sure though. Uh, remember, I mentioned those double shots with he- young heroes teaming up with the uh, members of the then current Teen Titans. Well, Supergirl teamed up with Prism for a double shot. Um, it, Superman 132 features Superman Red and Superman Blue meeting for the first time. Unlimited Access number three continues the, uh, the DC-Marvel crossover. Uh, looks like the Justice League, and, classic Justice League and the classic Avengers come to blows. And we're talking uh, like um, Justice League like Green Lantern, Black Canary, Flash, Martian Manhunter v- versus the classic Avengers of Captain America, Thor, um, Giant Man, the Wasp, and I'm sure Iron Man's in there somewhere. Which means Aquaman's got to be in there somewhere, too. Yeah. Basically, you're one for both. Oh. Young Heroes in Love number 9 came out. I'm not 100% sure what happens here, but it just says sex lies in the real thing. So. It's got the blue guy from the issue with the heads. Uh, the Adventures of Superman Red and Superman Blue came out this month uh, featuring Superman Red versus Superman Blue. That looks really awesome when drawn by Tom Grummet. I just have to say, even though it is inked by uh, Dennis Rodier, nothing against him. I just was never a fan of his inking. Sorry. Um, Batman Adventures The Lost Years Part 2 features uh, Dick Grayson quitting as Robin. Uh, Batman Predator Volume 3 Number 4 came out. It looks like the Predator has made its way to the Batcave. It's on top of the giant penny. Batman Legends of the Dark Knight 103 came out this month, uh, continuing the story Spook, Part 2 of 3. Catwoman Number 54 came out this month. The Diamond That Wouldn't Stay Stolen. It's a one-part story. They were trying to do that a lot with the Batman books at this point. Some single-issue stories. Awesome. Way to go. Uh, Flash number 134, A Day in the Life of the Flash. Remember a few episodes ago when I mentioned that uh, there was an issue where basically the Golden Age Flash took over for Wally while he was recuperating from his broken legs, and uh, he went up against like the re- reverse Golden Age Flash and stuff like that? Well, that's this issue, number 134. He also has lunch with a disguised Nightwing. Impulse and the Atom double shot. Battle of the Tiny Titans. It's got a cool Pop Mahan cover, and I know a classic Adam cover. I bl- one of the first ones featuring the Ray Palmer Adam featured him being trapped in t- inside of a bottle, and this time we have the Ray Palmer Adam trapping Impulse inside of a tiny bottle. Uh, Legion of Superheroes 101, and it looks like 
to save a life, apparently it's spark the uh, uh, like lightning lad's sister. I don't know they're more recent names anyway uh they're doing the they're doing the lightning it's similar to their lightning thing that they do uh she's in some kind of a looks like a see-through coffin they're all holding up lightning rods and touching the coffin to have the lightning go through to the coffin it's hard to explain i can't even tell you all the guys on the cover i can see lightning lad saturn girl cosmic boy I think that's Shrieking Violet, Chameleon Boy. I'm not sure who the other one is unless it's Brainiac 5. But, needless to say, it looks awesome because it's by Alan Davis. Spectre number 62 has a cool Tom Mandrake cover. Superboy and the Ravers number 18. Ooh, we've got two brothers on the cover and Superboy's trying to keep them separated so they don't, you know, kill each other. Supergirl number 18... Continues Supergirl versus Despero, but uh, seems to be leading into her whole Angelic Wings storyline that they did around this point. Superman Adventure Special number one came out this month. Superman versus Lobo. This is a pretty cool comic, and the, with the art done by the uh, by the art team of John Delaney and Mike Manley, this is probably the closest you get to the look of an episode of the Superman Adventures. It's pretty cool. And it's written by David Michelini, who by this point had left the main Superman books. Teen Titans number 17 came out this month, where we have a new order, a new lineup for the Teen Titans. It looks like in addition to the former team, you also see all the guys that they've teamed up with in the double shots. Um... And, um, for example, I am seeing on here Supergirl and Superboy, Captain Marvel Jr., or who I believe was known as CM3 by this point, Scorn, Spoiler, Damage, Impulse, Robin, in addition to who they had on the team before, so that's cool. Uh, This issue, um, earlier issues were drawn by Dan Jurgens and inked by George Perez, and now this issue is inked by Phil Jimenez interesting uh, Wonder Woman number 130 apparently goes into how uh, oh goes into Jay Garrick the Golden Age Flash recognizing the Queen Hippolyta Wonder Woman more than likely I'm guessing setting up the whole fact that Hippolyta was the Golden Age Wonder Woman uh, the Superman Madman Hullabaloo trade paperback came out this month and at the end of this month was New Year's Evil, a fifth week event. Uh, this featured uh, basically a bunch of the, the villains of several, or villains across the DCU, starring in their own books. There was the Body Doubles. Let's see if it came from who that's from. Uh, from the pages of Resurrection Man was the Body Doubles. From the pages of Teen Titans is Dark Nemesis. From the pages of Jack Kirby's Fourth World, Dark Side. From the pages of Kingdom Come, Gog. From the pages of Superman, Mr. Mixia's Pitalik, complete with the energy powers. 
that's looking like he's got the energy powers that Superman has. Pretty cool looking, because he stuck his finger in a light socket. Um, from the pages of The Flash, The Rogues. From the pages of Batman, Scarecrow. And from the pages of JLA, Prometheus. This sets up the next JLA storyline, which I'm actually going to kind of mention right now. Um, I mentioned last, at the end of last episode that there's going to be some changes. Well, this I really thought this would have been a good idea, but going weekly and covering every issue of Grant Morrison's JLA, it's just not working out the way I had hoped it was. And also, this is supposed to be me and everything I like, and right now I'm kind of focused on just the JLA, and I'd like to kind of spread my wings, as it were. So, the show is going to go, after this episode, the show is going back to a bi-weekly schedule, and we're going to do random stuff. Sometimes we'll have comic book stuff, sometimes we'll have non-comic book stuff. Um, I'd like to get into some Marvel comics. Believe it or not, I read Marvel comics. I also read non-Marvel comics and non-DC, some of the independent stuff. Wildstorm before DC bought him. Um, Image, etc. So I'd like to get into some other comics that I like reading. Um, kind of present some cool stuff from all around. Plus I've got some big plans for some of the non-comics issues. Um, looking at Doctor Who in time for its 50th anniversary. Uh, looking at Power Rangers in time for its 20th anniversary. Um, I'd like to do one talking about, you know, the cartoons of the 90s, similar to what I did for the 80s, uh, and more. So, <clears throat> that's the plan going forward. Um, I hope y'all don't mind too much that we're do that I'm doing this. Um, well, if you do, doesn't really matter because I'm doing it anyway. Uh, but anyway, um, just to kind of let you know some of the stuff going forward uh, with the JLA. Pro the Prometheus story introduces Prometheus and also features a superhero, I think that's in this issue, features a superhero that was uh, created as part of a wizard uh, contest in Wizard Magazine to create your own superhero that could be a member of the JLA. And basically at the end of the story, uh, you find out that the JLA are having their recruitment drive to bring in all those new heroes I mentioned earlier. And this new hero has been picked to be a Justice League member for a day, and Prometheus kills him and takes his place. The hero was fan-created, I honestly couldn't tell you who, who created him and what the name was. But um, in the next issue of JLA, that hero gets to go up to the JLA Watchtower. And we get a story where of basically Prometheus, which is like an evil Batman. And he's got files on all the, on all the heroes, takes them down basically one by one, except for Superman and Wonder Woman, who's who are basically stuck uh, trying to keep the people calm. Uh, he even takes out Batman at the end of the first part. The second part of the story, uh, they eventually take him down uh, when Catwoman, who has not been seen up until this point, pops out, um, hits him with a, his whip in his unmentionable sections, um, because to do that, a whip f travels at the speed of sound, and that's allow a fast speed to be hit by anything, especially in your uh, sensitive areas, and uh, takes out Prometheus. And then for the next four issues, Grant Morrison uh, is replaced by Mark Wade while he goes over to take care of this whole DC One Million storyline. And Mark Wade does a two-part story dealing with a lot of very real physics 
thing uh, and also uh, making the atoms seem even cooler um, and then after that uh, is another two-part story Superman gets his powers his regular powers back uh, just in time for the Justice League to basically be kidnapped to the planet Ron and being made slaves because Ron has been taken over by some bad guys and Adam Strange is acting a little crazy and is working with them. It all turns out it's just part of Adam Strange's plan and he needed the, uh, the Justice League to build some things to allow them to to allow him to use the stored up um, Zeta beam energy in his body to transport all these bad guys off world to the prison planet Tacron Galtos. Unfortunately, by the end of the story, by doing this, it uses up all the Zeta energy in his body, forcing him to return to Earth, where he has to wait until he can be Zeta beamed back to Ron to see his wife and daughter. It's a sad ending. After that, Grant Morrison returns again for a two-part story featuring the Sand uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Uh, basically, the Star Conqueror returns, and Superman... I believe Superman, Green Lantern, and Wonder Woman enter this one child's dream to try to help fight against the Star Conqueror uh, while the rest of the League takes makes a more physical attack. And just when it looks bad, uh, the kid remembers who Superman is and the heroes get their powers and they're able to take out the Star Conqueror. Following that, uh, that issue ends with... Diana, Wonder Woman, returning to take over the Wonder Woman role just in time for G, uh, DC 1 million where the Justice Legion A of the 853rd century uh, return, uh, come back to the past to meet up with the JLA and set things up for a um, how do you want to put this? Basically there's a big celebration going on in the future because the original Superman Prime the original Superman, is about to return from the sun. He's been in the sun for years. You might remember this. If you've read All-Star Superman, it's a similar thing. I believe that's the Superman that gets set up in the sun and all this stuff. Anyway, um, the whole story deals with an hour of the... Apparently the Justice Legion A have, brought, have come back to the past to switch places to keep the past safe while the past while the JLA heads to the future to do compete or to, to participate in games and learn about the 853rd century all this stuff uh, but in the past the good guys have end up releasing some kind of our man virus that is attacking people making them go crazy and in the future uh, the JLA is seen as villains uh, tricked into being seen villains by the artificial sun Solaris, who it turns out has been a nemesis, an arch enemy of the Superman line from starting in the 20th century. In order to save the Earth from the Earth, to save the past from the Hour Man virus, the Justice Legion A basically has to team up with the rest of the members of the JLA to create, well, Solaris. It's the only way to stop the Hour Man virus. In the, pre in the future, um, they the Justice League are able to prevent the death of the new Superman when he re emerges from the sun. So all is good. And meanwhile, in the past, the Vandal Savage is also trying some stuff to it. It's, it's, a, it's 
really big, really big, really crazy. A lot of stuff happens. One of the coolest things is that the Superman of the future literally punches his way through the time barrier to the 853rd century. I gotta admit, that's kind of cool. Uh, following all of that, basically, the JLA decide that they really can't... I mean, they're, they're fighting for the whole Earth. They don't speak for just one country. They're not just America. They're, well, they're for the whole world. So, America creates their own super team, called the Ultramarine Corps, uh, led by General Eiling. At this point, also, uh, the, these, the, the same team also finds the Shaggy Man, the body of the Shaggy Man. The Shaggy Man is a classic JLA villain. He's basically invulnerable and covered in hair. Doesn't age. He's completely invulnerable. Uh, they've trapped him. Somehow he's been trapped at the bottom of the sea. These guys retrieve the body. It turns out General Eiling is dying and has his... Uh, while also the Ultramarine Corps are dying. The Ultramarine Corps go up against the JLA because they've been told that the JLA are bad guys. And it turns out Eiling, or Eiling, Eiling has his mind transferred into the body of the Shaggy Man. That's not good. He takes on the Justice League as well. He's eventually stopped when they, he gets transported out to the asteroid belt and has to spend the rest of his life uh, on a, basically on an asteroid. He can't hear anything. It's silent, but he doesn't die because that's where he is. Uh, next, uh, next one is a fill-in issue written by Mark Miller uh, where the Justice League has to go up against Amazo, who returns. And as the main team loses to Mil- uh, to uh, loses to him the 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 uh, oracle who also joins the team I forgot to mention that oracle also ends up calling in more and more reserves until you basically get just about every superhero on the in the DCU just making Amazo even more and more powerful and they finally stop him when Superman disbands the Justice League again which apparently causes Amazo to lose all of his powers and shut down. Following that is Crisis Times 5, which which is a JLA, JSA crossover that kind of helps set up the new JSA book that's going to be started up pretty soon. Um, featuring, and of course it says Crisis in the title, which of course they used to always do during the JLA, JSA crossovers. And it features an invasion from the fifth dimension, as well as the return of Triumph. Uh, this storyline also features a fight, bet- or a short fight, between Superman and Captain um, Captain Marvel, which doesn't really count because Captain Marvel kind of gives Superman a cheap shot, but it's one punch. Uh, the next issue is another fill-in issue with Mark Wade and Devin Grayson, uh, featuring why the JLA, what the JLA are doing to help with the whole No Man's Land thing going over in the Batman books. Following issue features a one-issue return of the White Martians. Then we get a one-issue precursor to the big final Grant Morrison storyline, which is then broken up because of the Day of Judgment Judgment crossover, uh, which is a fill-in issue by J.M.D. Mateus, where the JLA meets up with Hal Jordan, who during that storyline becomes the Spectre. 
he, he, he gets better after that. Then we get the first part of World War III. Luther starts a new just Injustice Gang, this time featuring the Queen Bee, Prometheus, and the Shaggy Man. While And once again, now this is interesting if you realize this both times, uh, both this time and the story we just finished, when Lex Luthor is dealing with his Injustice Gang, some th bigger threat is also coming in to kind of make it dif more difficult. This time, uh, this last time we had uh, the, the Philosopher's Stone and dealing with the whole Dark Side thing. Next time, uh, with this World War III, Mageddon comes along. Those guys on Wonder World, they fail against Mageddon, and they come to Earth. And in order to basically save the world they end up having to give every super everybody on earth superpowers to take on Magadon and they do the entire population of earth takes on Magadon with superpowers and they win and that's it after that Grant Morrison leaves there's a one issue fill in by Dan Johnson as the writer dealing with uh, basically it's another Adam story and then after that, Mark Wade takes over the book with his famous Tower of Babel storyline, while Brian Hitch will come on after that uh, to help with the big Heaven's Ladder tabloid size book, and then takes over the re regular series. And, and the big thing Mark Wade was able to do with the characters is they uh, got past the whole secret identity thing. They revealed their secret identities to everybody, and the White Martians came back for a big story. Then after that, Joe Kelly came on with Doug Mankey uh, to do a bunch of stuff, including the return of Aquaman and Justice League Dark. So, I mean, it just goes from here and it gets bigger and bigger. But that's all I'm going to be covering for the uh, Grant Morrison run and for JLA as a whole. After this, probably aren't going to have much JLA. Um, might have some of the characters. Uh, might have some Martian Manhunter or a Green Lantern or a Flash story or Wonder Woman, maybe Batman, maybe Superman, but probably not altogether. But um, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, come back next time when we do something. I'm not completely sure what yet, but um, I'll see you then. This has been an episode of Charlie's Geek Cast, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer. The show's website is www.charliesgeekcast.com, where you'll find notes and images for each episode. Please feel free to leave a comment there or email the show at charliesgeekcast at gmail.com, and I'll read them on the air. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes. I also have another show called Superman of the Bronze Age, where I cover Superman comics published between 1970 and 1986. You can find that at www.supermanofthebronzeage.com. Charlie's Geek Cast is an I Don't Have a Fake Company name production. All images and music used are copyright their respective copyright holders. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Thank you.